All right, Revelation chapter 10. Let's open with the word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. I pray again for anybody who's new here today, that they would feel welcomed and loved. We thank you, Lord, that when we have you in common, we have everything in common. May your Holy Spirit teach us. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Now, before we get into the text, I'm going to do this every week through the rest of Revelation, and here's why. I want us to remember this book a year from now. So the book of Revelation is not difficult to understand, even though people think that it is. And one of the many reasons that it's not difficult, it's the only book in the entire Bible that has its own divine outline. It's Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. And it talks about the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. The things which you have seen is chapter one. We see Jesus in his glorified body. And we get a picture of who our Savior is. Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger, and he's no longer a Savior on a cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Amen? And when you look at Revelation 1, we see him in his glorified body, and that should be something that we're mindful of. So Revelation 1, we see the things which we have seen. You know, Jesus triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the one who is and is to come. He's the Almighty. These are all things we see in, in, in the beginning of Revelation. He's clothed in a garment down to his feet. He's girded with the, his chest with a golden band. His hair is white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass as refined in a furnace. His voice is the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he has seven stars. Out of his mouth is a two-edged sword. His countenance is like the sun shining in its strength. These things which we have seen is in Revelation chapter 1, and that should be the picture of our Savior. And again, we want to, some people want to keep him on the cross. It is finished, paid in full. Amen? He is a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. So then we see the things which are, which we have seen, the things which are. That's chapter 2 and 3, and that's known as the what? The church age. So the church age is from the time of the book of Acts, in the giving of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the church after Jesus ascended into heaven until now. And that church age will continue until the rapture of the church. And so right now we are in the church age. We see the seven churches in chapter two and chapter three. And again, those, those letters there tell us what, what's, what was taking place in the world now. Now in chapter four, there's a word, metatauta, and it's the, it means hereafter. And these are the things that take place after the church is gone. In Revelation chapter 1, in the first verse, we see John being called up. Harpazo is the word in Latin. It's rapturo. We get the word for rapture. And from that perspective, from chapter 4 through the end of the book, through chapter 22, that is what is the things which shall take place after these things. These are things in the future. So chapter 4, he's in heaven and he has a heavenly perspective. And we don't see the church mentioned again until we return with Jesus in chapter 20. So from chapter 4 to chapter 19, there's no mention of the church. And again, people have differing views on the tribulation, but this is why I believe that we are in, you know, we are, it, 
the pre-wrath rapture, right? Before the wrath of God comes, that we will be raptured. Uh, and again, we will see that take place. That's the end of the church age. And we see that there beginning in chapter four. So that word in chapter four and five, we saw the church had been raptured is seen in heaven. So we see the church in heaven around the throne, worshiping the Lord. It talks about the singing, the songs of the redeemed. Angels can't sing songs of the redeemed because they were not redeemed. Only we were redeemed. So the church is in heaven in chapter four and chapter five, worshiping around the throne, singing the song of the redeemed. In chapter six through 19 is a, is a tribulation on earth. So we saw the focus on heaven. And when we looked at the focus on heaven, what is the focus of heaven in chapter four and five? What is it? throne of God. So the focus is on the throne of God. The 24 elders are around the throne singing, praising the Lord. He has a, you know, he has a, a rainbow, a, a, a rainbow around him. Again, reminder of his promises. Then we get to chapter six moving forward and the focus goes from heaven to the earth. And now we see all of the judgment of God coming upon the earth. God pouring out his wrath on a Christ rejecting sinful world. The wrath of God is being poured out on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Now, are there going to be people getting saved during that time? What's the answer? Yeah. And what, what, is the, what is the greatest amount of evangelists? Who are they? 144,000 of the Jews, 12,000 each of the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm going to be repetitive. I'm going to do this every week. Here's why. I want you to remember what the book of Revelation is about for the rest of your life. However much time God has, we have left on this planet, we should understand this book. Do you know this is the only book in the Bible that has a promise of a blessing for those who continue to read it and live by it? So it's a book that not only tells us about the future, but it's a book that has a promise in it. And so in chapter 6 through 19, we see God pouring out his wrath. There's no mention of the church. The church is taken up before God's judgment comes. Our sin has already been judged, cleansed, and forgiven at the cross. Then chapters 19 to 22, we'll be in a few months, we'll see the return, the second coming of Christ, him establishing his kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth, and we will rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years, and we're going to see what this world would be like with the Lord in charge, and praise God for that, amen? A longing, longing for that. So I just want, I'm going to do this every week because my prayer is that we will take this home with us. So now as we come to chapter 10, we're actually about halfway through the tribulation time-wise. We're certainly not chapters-wise. We still have a lot more chapters to go. We're, we're almost at the three and a half year mark, and we'll see that in coming chapters. So we're about halfway through. So What's interesting is we're going to be in heaven for seven years with the Lord during the great tribulation. And the Jewish tradition of marriage, I've talked about this before, but some of you are new. The Jewish tradition of marriage, when they were to be married, they would send the, the, the groom away and he would have to prepare a place and the bride would have to be waiting and he would not come back for his bride until his father inspected the place that he was preparing for them to live. And when it was appropriate, his best man would run in front of him and let everyone know that he's coming. And then the groom would show up and the bride and the groom would go away for not seven years, but for seven days. And they would have a honeymoon together. And at the end of those seven days, they would return and there would be a great feast. Now, again, this is all about the Lord because where is Jesus right now? He is doing what? What's he doing for us? 
He's preparing a place for us. When will he return? When the Father says it's time. And guys, we will go and be with the Lord, not for seven days, but for seven years with our groom in heaven, celebrating with him. And then we will return with him and we'll have a huge feast upon the earth and we'll be here ruling and reigning with him for a thousand years. Amen? Bible rocks. So now as we come to chapter 10, chapter nine was heavy, huh? Chapter nine was gnarly. Chapter nine, what did we see? We saw 200 million demonic beings coming up out of the pit with faces like lions and tails like serpents. And before that, the first half of chapter nine, we saw these scorpion-like creatures that would sting people and they couldn't die. And for five months, people were in torment and wanted to die and they couldn't die. And then we saw in last week's chapter that literally over a billion people are gonna die in a short amount of time because God's allowing the righteous judgment to even be taken out on the people by the demonic. Remember that there'll be those who have taken the mark of the beast who have aligned with the enemy. And there'll be those who are born again believers and they take a mark. It's a T on their forehead. It's the shape of a cross. There'll be a delineation between who's for God and who's against him. And at the middle of that, those who had yet to take the mark of the beast, many of them will be getting saved and Christians will be martyred for their faith. Now we come to chapter 10 and it's almost like an interlude. It's almost like all this heaviness, you know, all these things are falling upon the earth. And in the middle of all of that, we're going to have a moment where, again, God shows his mercy. And we're going to see the greatness of God, that one mighty angel is greater than 200 million demonic beings. See, our God is greater than anything the enemy will ever want to dish out ever. Amen? And God is sovereign, and God is in control, and our God is faithful. So put yourself in the shoes of these people who, if if you were living this out in those days, here's what's happened in, in three and a half years. They've witnessed all the Christians disappearing. Uh, I, I would love to have a copy of the news program when that happens. They'll blame it on aliens or something. They'll say, because we didn't get vaccinated, we disappeared. Who knows what they're going to say? <laughs> but the reality, there's going to be All the Christians disappear and the impact of the Holy Spirit on this planet is going to be gone. There will be economic collapse, the rise of the Antichrist, war, famine, one-fourth of the world's population destroyed by sword, famine, disease, and wild beasts. There'll be earthquakes worse than we've ever seen before. The sun will turn black, the moon will turn red, stars falling to the earth, the sky being rolled up, every mountain and island moved out of its place, people hiding in caves among the rocks of the mountains. It's been said the most expensive real estate during the tribulation will be a hole in the ground because people will be trying to hide. They'll be hiding from God. There'll be an army of 144,000 of the uh, Jews who are going to go out and be proselytes for the kingdom of God. Hail and fire falling from the sky, burning up to a third of the earth and the trees and all the green grass meteors and asteroids hitting the ground, a third of the sea becoming blood, a third of all the fish in the sea life dead, a third of all the ships destroyed, a great star from heaven burning like a torch will come down, a third of all the fresh water turned bitter, many died from drinking the poisonous water, the sun, the moon, the stars again are darkened, the tides and the crops and temperatures go through the roof. We don't need to worry about global warming, we need to worry about eternal warming if we don't get right with Jesus. Can I get any men to that? People are panicking. They worship creation rather than the creator. Demonic locusts tormenting the world's population for five months. Men seeking death, unable to find it. 
And now having just survived the attack of 200 million man demonic army surrounded by disaster area filled with dead bodies, what does it smell like to have up to 3 billion dead bodies? Where do you bury them? In the midst of all this torment, all this, torment this is the, the wrath of God coming upon a Christ-rejecting generation. It's unimaginable that after years of suffering and death under the terrifying judgments from God, coupled with preaching of the gospel by the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and the two witnesses we'll see next week, and the angel in the sky and other believers, the survivors still refuse to repent. With all that happening, you would think everyone would be repenting. But it's tragic because people will choose again against God. So if you have your outline, grab it. If you didn't get one on the way in, um, we have outlines. We do this every week. Uh, I, we want you to take it home with you. I tell the message, even in the darkest hour, our God is in control. No matter what is going on around us, the world right now is a mess. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. The world is a mess. Our God is in control. No matter, our world is confused. You know, Satan is the author of confusion, he wants to confuse you. People are confused whether a man or a woman. That's totally the lie of the devil, amen? God created you male and female. God didn't make mistakes. God created you who you are, and you, and, and you can rest in that. And we're living in a time where everybody is confused, but guys, our God's a God of order, and our God knows what he's doing. He's the creator of all things, and he's a faithful God. So point number one, one mighty angel greater than the devil and all the demons that follow him. We're going to see this angel that comes down, and literally this one mighty angel is greater than everything that the demonic can dish out. Some people believe this is Jesus. I do not. I will tell you why. And we'll go through that in the, in the first part. In his appearance, he's going to have God's glory and presence, God's promise of mercy in the midst of judgment, his radiant glory, and again, his firm, stable, immovable, immovable purifying effect on the world. Number two, Two, there will be things that remain a mystery to us until we get to heaven. Now, for some of us, that's disappointing. But for me, you know what it is? It's a reminder that I am finite man trying to understand infinite God. Now, we can know him, and to, to know him better is to love him more, and we're to study to show ourselves approved. Workmen need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen? We should be in the word of God. And as we spend time in God's word, we're going to become more like him. We're going to know him better. We're going to love him more. But there will be things that we will not understand until we get to heaven, because when we get to heaven, we will finally have the capacity to understand the fullness of his glory and his grace when we're in his presence, amen? So when there are things in the Bible that we don't fully understand, it's okay. Don't focus on what you can't understand. Focus on the one who you know is true. Keep your focus on the Lord and his greatness and his glory. And again, I'm not talking about, there's no mystery about how we're saved. There's no mystery about who God is. But some things in the Bible we don't fully understand. Or maybe there's things that have taken place in your life and you're asking God why. You may not get the answer to that until you get to heaven. Number three. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. He's delayed his judgment. We saw back in chapter 6, verse 10, where those who'd been martyred said, how much longer, Lord, until you go down there and take care of those people? And you know what? I've said that myself. How about you? Amen? And I shouldn't be saying that. But you see something going on in the world, and you're like, Lord, could you become one of the sons of thunder? Lord, just wipe them out in Jesus' name. <laughs> We don't want to pray, Lord, get them. We want to pray, Lord, save them. Amen? 
want to see those people saved. But there is going to come a time where God who suffers long will not suffer always. And we're going to see in tonight's text, he comes to it. And the next nine chapters, we're going to see the wrath of God being poured out, and there's going to be no more delay. And so to, this morning's text is really kind of an interlude. It goes through verse 14 of the next chapter, where we're going to see God showing some opportunity for these people enduring all this to be saved. And God waits, and God is faithful, and, and we wonder why. No doubt people have wondered for 2,000 years, why hasn't the Lord come back? Why hasn't the Lord brought righteous judgment? I'm really glad he waited till after I was saved. Amen? Too often we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and yes, amen to that. But you know what? God's delay is until the fullness of the Gentiles, so we know that there are more people to be saved before the Lord will come back. And by the way, if that's you, get saved today, and we can be in heaven this afternoon. Can I get an amen to that? If the fullness of the Gentiles is waiting for you, let's, let's be about it for the kingdom of God. And then finally, eat the book. What in the world is that? It's in the text. And he tells him to take this book, tells John to take this book and eat it. And really what it's a picture of is reading and consuming and being transformed by the word of God. In this case, it's going to be a smaller book, I believe, really speaking about what's going to happen in the rest of the tribulation. But he tells him to take God's word, which is given to him, and consume it. And guys, it's not enough for us to glance over the Bible. It's not enough for us to just nibble at it. The Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. So if you opened your Bible as much as you opened the fridge, how would you be doing spiritually? Amen? We'd be spiritual giants. So we're desire the word of God. And guys, the word of God transforms us from the inside out. And you know what? The more I study the Bible, the more I love the author. Amen? And the more I understand the world around me, I tell people this often, the Lord made me a pastor because he knew I needed to be in the Bible 40 to 50 hours a week because I need him desperately. And I'm thankful for that. So we're going to see, eat the book. It's sweet. Part of the message is sweet. It's going to tell us. Part of the Bible, there are people that only read the sweet parts. They get mad at me when I teach the bitter parts. Why you got to talk about judgment? Why you got to talk about sin? Why you got to talk about that? Because in the Bible, Amen. But people will just read the sweet parts. But what about this? And again, praise God for the sweet parts. He's a God of love, grace, and mercy. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. Then there's bitter parts to talk about the righteous judgment of God if we continue to reject him. Talks about the conviction of sin. Talks about the depravity of man. Guys, we need the whole counsel of God because, again, nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. So let's begin there. In verse 1 of Revelation 10, even in the darkest hour, our God is in control. And the first thing we're going to see, one mighty angel is greater than the devil and all the demons that follow him. Look at verse 1. He says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like the pillar like pillars of fire. That does sound like the picture of Jesus in heaven, doesn't it? If you read Revelation 1, and certainly as I've taught through this before, as I study it, yeah, there are people who believe that this is Jesus. There's a few problems with that, and we'll go over that in a minute, uh, on why I don't believe that's true. But again, this person has the authority of God upon him. 
whether it's Jesus, who some people do believe, or just an angelic being, I personally don't. Now, again, I don't want to speak into silence. A lot of people believe it's Michael the archangel. That would make sense, uh, the most powerful of the angels. But we're going to see the power that this angelic being has. Now, I will say this. In the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, it's always Jesus. So there are pre-incarnate pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, and you see the angel of the Lord. So Jesus wrestled with Jacob, right? Jesus, right? He appears, the angel of the Lord to Abraham and other places. But you never see Jesus in the New Testament referred to as the angel of the Lord. It doesn't happen one time. So again, that's part of the reason I believe that this is not Jesus. But let's talk about this angel. So we've left off with the six trumpets sounding, the seven trumpets about to, to be blown, uh, and each trumpet that's blown, new judgment would come. But now instead, there's this interlude that goes again until next chapter 11, verse 15. We'll see that next week. And these interludes serve a dramatic purpose in the midst of demonic destruction allowed by God to bring about righteous judgment. This shows the mercy of God, allowing another opportunity to repent. And you know what? Every one of us, we know that we've had more opportunities to repent than we deserve. Amen? Where God is gracious again and again and again. And he does suffer long, but he won't suffer always. There's a day coming when that day will have passed and it's too late. And, and we're going to see that this is one last opportunity in the midst of this literally hell on earth, as we titled the message last week. Hell on earth, literally, it's, it's hell all around them. And there's one more opportunity before they go to the eternal place. They're getting a taste of it on earth. And instead of repenting, most people will refuse. They will stay, they will stay prideful. They'll hold on and they'll continue to reject God. But notice his grace. He continues to reach out. We'll see in this morning's text will take place on a global, global scale. I believe there are times when God does the same with our individual lives, when temptation makes a way of escape. He strengthens us by his spirit to resist the devil, to flee youthful lust, and to turn back to him. Now, the word another there, the word in Greek is another of the same kind. And this is why I do not, one of many, I'm going to give you five reasons why I don't believe it's Jesus. So it's another of the same kind, another uh, like another copy of another angel. So it's not a unique angel in a sense in the way that the wording is here. The word in Greek, mighty angel, uh, in Revelation 5, 2, it's a strong angel proclaiming who is able to open the scroll. And again, that angel says, who can open the scroll? And who's the one who opens it? So the angel's talking to the one who can open the scroll. And this is the same term for the angel that we see here in chapter 10. So there's an angel saying, who can open the scroll? And we know that the scroll is the, what is it? The deed to earth. And as they open the scroll, right, there's seals. And each seal that's opened, as more judgment comes, the sixth seal now, we've had all the trumpet judgments. We got one more to come. And that final judgment is going to be what we deal with in the earth. Now, whenever we see Jesus appear in Revelation, he's given an unmistakable title by John the writer of, of, of this, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's the names that he gives for Jesus in the book of Revelation, and not once an angel. 
He calls him a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, the son of man, the first and the last, the living one, the son of God, he who is holy, who is true, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb, the faithful and the true, the word of God, and the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Every time he introduces Jesus in any way or speaks of him, he gives him the, uh, a majestic title that is worthy of his name. He doesn't just say another angel. So again, this is not, this is not make it or break it, what you believe about this, but I'm telling you why I don't believe it is. Thirdly, other strong angels who cannot be identified with Christ or throughout scripture. And since other angels are identified as angels, no reason to associate this one with Jesus. And while, again, while pre-incarnate Jesus is seen throughout the Old Testament. By the way, you can challenge me on this. Find me a chapter in the Old Testament and I will show you Jesus. Pick any chapter you want and I'll show you Jesus. That's what I shared at the synagogue with the rabbis when I was there, when we used to meet in the synagogue and had all these rabbis going through and then they handed me a chapter and they gave me the best chapter possible, the Passover. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I was able to share with them Jesus so he's in the Old Testament, amen? This, this history is his story. It's all about him. And finally, the angel came down to earth out of heaven. In the text, it says here, he came down to earth. Well, we, that would be a, another coming of Christ, amen? Because he's going to come back in chapter 20. And so we talked about the second coming. Well, then that, that would be the third coming, then, amen? So these are just reasons why. And this is why we studied the Bible. And again, I, I love to take time to Take a really look, take a deep look at the word of God and understand who's writing it and what it means. Context, right? You take a text out of context, all you get left is a con, right? And so we want to understand the context, who's writing, what's taking place here. So this angel comes down in the midst of all this turmoil. And notice what happens with this angel. And again, Daniel describes an angel, one last thing in Daniel chapter 10, uh, very much like Jesus I mean, very much like the angel here in this chapter. And we know that's not Jesus in that case. You know why? Because he needed help to defeat the demons. And Jesus never needs help to defeat anybody. Can I get an amen to that? He's greater. That's the God that we serve. You know what? Our problems are only great if our God is small. We don't serve a small God. We serve a great God. Amen? Now let's talk about this angel, this another angel, this powerful, mighty angel. It says he's clothed with a cloud and a rainbow on his head. The cloud speaks of God's glory and God's presence. The children of Israel, when they were wandering through the wilderness, what led them through the wilderness? Pillar of a cloud by day and fire by night. And that cloud represented the presence of God. It always rested on the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. They would get up in the morning and they would look up to see if the cloud moved. And if the cloud moved, they packed everything up and they moved until the cloud stopped and they camped out again. And again, I love that picture. By the way, if you read the Bible in Numbers, they were camped in the shape of a cross. They didn't even know it. And they're moving in the shape of a cross. When God's looking down from heaven at the children of Israel going to the, you know, toward the promised land, the land of the wilderness, in the wilderness, they seize the shape of a cross and then heading to the land of promise. So that's a great 
picture for us that we ought to get up every morning and look up to where Jesus is headed and let's follow him. Amen? Wherever he wants to lead us, wherever he wants to take us, we follow him. So this cloud, this pillar rested above the Holy of Holies in those days, and it's a picture, this cloud of God's presence or God's glory. It says he has a rainbow on his head, God's covenant promise of mercy in the midst of judgment. Why did the rainbow come into existence? Because the world was perverse and wicked. They had 120 years to repent while Noah built a boat. They mocked God. Noah continued to proclaim the gospel. Nobody received it. And when God brought righteous judgment, he brought the rainbow as a reminder and a promise that he would never judge the world that way again. Now, it is nothing, very few things that make me more angry. It is more tragic than seeing what people have tried to do with the rainbow. It's a total mocking of Almighty God, because one of the many reasons that the world was wiped out in those days was perversion, and sexual immorality was running rampant, and now you have a group of sexually perverted people who try to use the rainbow as their symbol. It's total mockery of God, and it just shows the grace and mercy of God that he continues to refrain because there's still more people to get saved. Amen? And anybody caught up in that, whatever sin they're caught up in, we love them all. But guys, we, we need to quit apologizing and making excuses for people's sinful behavior, including my own. Amen? You don't make sin okay. Well, it's just too bad. I feel bad for them. I, you know what? Jesus died for them, and we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, but never dial down sin, because sin is sin, and sin is wrong, and we never make excuses for it. Amen? And the reality is that the enemy will do anything he can to draw people away from the Lord. Notice it says there, his face is like the sun, his feet like pillars of fire. His radiant, brilliant, radiant glory lights up the earth like the blazing noonday sun. The angel is radiating from being in the presence of God. Remember when Moses got a glimpse of backside of Jesus on Mount Sinai? And he just put his hand over him and put him in a cleft of a rock and he passed by and he just got the, a glimpse of his glory as he passed by. When Moses came down from the mountain, what was he doing? He was glowing. So imagine this angel being in the presence of Almighty God for thousands of years, for eternity. So when he comes, guess what? He's radiating the glow that came from him being in the presence of Almighty God in heaven. And you know, as believers, we should be radiating the, God, the love of God, amen? People should see us and there should be something different about us. A lot of Christians, we look like we've been sucking on lemons, amen? You know, it's, it's, oh, complain, complain, complain. Guys, we're going to heaven. Our God is greater, and we need to be rejoicing in who we are in the Lord, and quit getting caught up in the things of the world, and bring glory and honor and praise to his name. Yeah, if, you, if you're a Christian been sucking on a limb, invite people to church, see how that works out, right? If you're the guy at work moaning and complaining, you know, I, most of you know, just a couple months ago, I, after 35 years being bivocational, I left my job, and I'm full-time at the church now, and I'm, I'm thankful for the fact that you guys give, so I can do that, I'm blessed, and I appreciate that. But I want to say this, I would talk to Christians at work. And they would just be moaning and complaining. I'd be like, you're going to heaven, right? They go, well, not today. So, you know, my <laughs> we can make arrangements for that, <laughs> right? But as believers, guys, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. We should be rejoicing in the Lord, amen? 
His feet are like pillars of fire. The word pillar is firm, stable, immovable. Fire burns, spreads, and purifies. And this symbolizes the unbending holiness and righteousness of the judgment of God. So we see this mighty angel coming down from heaven in the midst of 200 million lion-headed fire and brimstone-breathing demonic beings with serpent's tails. And in his appearance is God's glory, God's promise, his, his uh, radiant glory, and again, his firm, stable, immovable, purifying effect. And this one mighty angel has more power than 200 million demonic creatures whose actions were under the sovereign authority of God. They were only allowed to bring judgment because we saw in chapter 9 that God allowed it. And so Satan can't do anything unless God allows it. Remember servant Job. Oh, Job only loves you because everything's perfect. Well, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. And we saw the torment that was allowed. But we saw in the end that God used even that for his glory. Guys, no suffering is wasted. Everybody in the Bible used mightily, suffered greatly. We shouldn't be surprised when we go through suffering as believers. Amen? And so we see this mighty angel coming down from heaven. We see his presence in the midst of all this torment, everything that's going on in the world around them. It's going to be an opportunity for people to repent and to get right with God. So awe-inspiring as these 200 million demonic beings killing over a billion people, it is good to know that the terror of the entire demonic army is no match for one mighty angel. Remember the next time, whatever you're going through, that our God is greater than anything you are facing. Amen? Our God is the creator of all things. He's in charge of all things. He's over all things. And he's a faithful God. And we can trust him in the midst of the greatest storm. And though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, Job said. And he said, shall I praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? See, guys, when, when you look at the world and you look at it from what the world is doing and you forget who's in charge, who's sovereign, who's in control, who's faithful, we, we can become depressed and discouraged and fearful. But when we know that our God is greater... Guys, your, your problems are only great if your God is small. We don't serve a small God. We serve a great God. Amen? In the midst of the storm, keep an eye on Jesus, not the waves. He's sleeping in the boat. Don't panic over the waves. Keep your eyes on Almighty God. In Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, one angel is going to cast the devil into a bottomless pit all by himself. It says this in Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should, de so that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand-year reign was finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. During the thousand-year reigns, during reign, Satan will be chained. Now there are people, there's a view called the preterist view, and they believe that we're in the millennial kingdom right now. That all the Bible was, was done in AD 70. That all these things took place. First of all, no. Second of all, that would mean that Satan is chained up. Does it look like Satan's chained up right now? If he is, it's an awful long chain. Amen? So here's the reality. Again, we know that he will be chained for a thousand years. We will rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, he will be loosed. And people who've been born during that thousand year kingdom will have an opportunity to choose God or choose the enemy. And sadly, some will still choose the enemy. Getting ahead of myself, but that's coming in, in future chapters. 
So no matter what fleshly, worldly, or demonic things are going on in the world around us, no matter how much it may appear for the moment that the enemy is winning as Satan is no longer hidden, have you ever seen more satanic stuff in your life? They, don't, they used to hide it. Now they just put it on the screen. And now it's a thing where people talk about worshiping Satan. This whole thing at Target, they have these things being, uh, and it's a Satanist who's making things for Target in the children's section. Guys, people are not hiding the, the satanic stuff that is taking place. But guys, no matter what, that, you know, and look, again, it looks like Satan's winning. The murder of babies, the celebration of perversion, God being mocked at an all-time high. But guys, in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. Men will worship the creation rather than the creator. We cannot know the day or the hour, but we can know the season. And I think we're in rapture season, Amen. And that's why we ought to be about it for the kingdom of God, because our life is but a vapor, whether he calls us home or he come back, comes back to take us home. Our God is greater and is in control. And in the end, I've read the end of the book, God wins. Amen. We'll be there in a few weeks. Verse two. So point number one there, one mighty angel is greater, greater than all the demons that follow him. All the demons, all the devil and all the demons that follow him, one mighty angel is greater and we can put our trust in God. Number two, there will be things that will remain a mystery to us until we get to heaven. Look at verse two. He had a little book open in his hand. This is the angel. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. This is a big angel. <laughs> and when he puts his feet down, what it's a picture of is that he has, he has authority over all of the land and all of the sea and all of the earth. And so everything is under the command of Almighty God and this messenger that he has sent, this mighty angel that has come. So in spite of all the demonic things that are taking place all around them and that God has allowed in righteous judgment, we're seeing that God is still in charge, God is still in control, and this mighty angel is a picture of God's authority still rules and reigns on the planet. Now, we do know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and in a sense, he kind of has the ownership papers of the earth, and that's why the scroll is opened, because God's going to take it back. But again, even in that, Satan can't do anything unless God allows it. The contents of the little book are not revealed anywhere in the book of Revelation. There's great speculation Nobody knows for sure. Written authority for an angel to fulfill his mission, maybe. This is what you're called to do. It could be details of the future events of the book of Revelation. God only knows. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do, Bible students. If it's not in the Bible, don't make it up. Amen? And I'll struggle. You know, that people try to make movies about Jesus, and most of the time they're a disaster. And here's why, because they're making stuff up. You know, we got enough, you got 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years of one central theme and no contradictions. How's that possible? Because God wrote it. We got enough material for a lot of movies right here. And so when we, when, we don't want to speak into the silence. I mean, we can wonder what it might be, but if, but if the word of God doesn't tell us, again, too much speculation can be harmful, especially if you want to live and die on it. It's okay to say, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but don't be dogmatic about it because the word of God is not dogmatic about it. Amen? For each of us as believers, there will be things that will happen that will be a mystery to us until we get to heaven. And we don't need to know. Just trust the one who does. Trust his greatness, his holiness, his power, his promises. 
Notice he set his right foot on left foot on the sea and his right foot on the land. And again, his stance projects his authority over land and sea and God's sovereign authority over the earth, which he will soon take back from Satan. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, 26, the earth, the earth is the Lord's and in all its fullness. He has the power and authority to both redeem and to righteously judge. The seventh trumpet and the seven bulls that are about to be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world will bring righteous judgment. But up at this point, here's another opportunity, God's mercy again, God's grace again for people to repent. And you know what? Everybody who stands before God on judgment day that ends up separated from Almighty God for all eternity will only go there because they have ran over the cross of Calvary to get there. They've rejected the Lord. Again, he desires that none should perish, no, not one. Salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. Verse three says there, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered voices. His loud cry like a lion's roar reflects the power and majesty and authority. Lion's roars are fierce and powerful. It commands attention. The Bible tells us that Jesus is a lion of the tribe of Judah. And we see that when he speaks, so when he cries out, seven thunders uttered their voices. This relates to the same idea of thunderous voice of God as you see in Psalm 29, seven times repeating the phrase, the voice of God. Let me read this to you. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over the many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Surah. Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. The stripes of the forest strips the forest bare. In his temple, everyone says glory. Guys, when God speaks, everybody listens. When he's going to speak, that might have. Remember how powerful his voice was at Mount Sinai? It scared the children of Israel half to death. He spoke and they go, Moses, you go take care of him. We'll go over here. You go talk to him and you let us know what he says. The voice of God. Guys, I'm longing to hear his voice, but don't we already hear his still small voice? Doesn't the Holy Spirit already speak to us? And guys, you know what? If we're still and we're quiet and we're walking close, we can hear God whisper. Amen. And if we're walking in rebellion, he might be yelling at us and we will turn a deaf ear. Verse four says, now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. So John hears this voice coming, this voice telling him and, and exhorting him and, and giving him direction. And when he hears it, he's told, don't write it down which means that there are things that God is going to do that he has not revealed to us yet. And you know what? He's God. He's brilliant. We're idiots. He knows what he's doing. Can I get an amen to that? Right? Compared to God, we're all stupid. So guys, we, we got to trust God sometimes. When we don't understand, we need to learn to just trust the Lord because he is faithful. He says, I was about to write him. He told me, don't write him. So John was permitted to tell was not permitted to tell what he said. And why did they even record it? I think they recorded it so that we would know that there are things that God has, has that he does not reveal to us. 
Well, we don't believe in spite of the evidence, that would be superstition. We don't believe in spite of what, you know, the, contrary to science or anything else. We, the, the Word of God is true. This is the greatest science book, greatest history book, greatest archaeological book ever written, most prophetic book ever written. Can I get an amen to that? So this is the truth, but there are things that God does not reveal to us, and we need to trust by faith in areas where He does not. You know, when we're struggling with why things happen, uh, why did my son die? Well, here's the good news. God is all-powerful, and he could have kept him here, but he chose not to. God knows everything. He knew the number of my son's days before he was created, and that we would have to walk through this grief, and he would walk with us through it. I know that God is good. I need to trust in his character. Amen? And I know that God loves me. I don't hate I don't have to grieve alone. He comforts me. So, what, so in my case, that's the thing most prevalent in my life today. You're, maybe you're going through something today, and you need to be reminded that God is all-powerful, that God knows everything, that God is good, and God loves you. Amen? Whatever that thing is that you're facing, prodigal children, a, a difficult marriage, health issues, finance, whatever it is, whatever that thing is that you're facing, be reminded of the goodness and the power of Almighty God. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Point number three, no more delay. I got seven minutes. <laughs> I might go over, I'm going to heaven. Amen. Notice it says here, in verse, uh, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Here's what it says. Verse five, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven. There's another reason why I don't think this is Jesus. Because he's going to make an oath to heaven. Does Jesus need to make oaths? Okay, we make oaths to him. We kind of get him into that. And then it says, and he swore by him who lives forever. Who's that? That's the Lord. Who created heaven and all things that are in it and the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. What he's saying is, that's it. We're done. It's done. No more waiting. No more resting. No more waiting. No more waiting for anyone. Here it is. They've been given an opportunity to be saved, and it's too late now. This is it. No more delay. Here comes the judgment that's going to wipe out, again, all who reject the Lord. Guys, here's the reality. In our life, there's going to be a day where there's no more delay. If you're putting off giving your life to Jesus, today, let today be the day of salvation. Amen? You, you don't have the promise of tomorrow. I'll get saved when I'm older. I'm going to have fun now. I want to tell you something. Walking with God doesn't keep you from fun. It keeps you from harm. Amen? The word of God, as you've heard me say, is not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. Amen? He gives us his word because he knows what's best for us and because he loves us. Delay no longer. The word there for delay is chronos, where you get the, for time. Revelation 6.10, souls of those who had been slain for their testimony said, they cried out to the Lord, how much longer, O Lord, until you judge them that killed us? For walking with you. No doubt all of us at some time, again, have looked at something going on in the world around us and wonder why God has not poured out his judgment yet. It's hard to look at the world today and the mocking of God and men calling good evil and evil good and worshiping creation rather than the creator no longer wonder how much longer Lord. But thankfully the Lord delayed his judgment until after, again, you and I got saved. Amen? And if you're here today and you haven't given your life to the Lord, let today be the day of salvation. Delay no longer. Time is up. The time of God's patience has ended. The seventh trumpet is about to be blown and all the bold judgments that will come 
with it. He says in verse 7, But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants and the prophets. The mystery of God. What mystery? Something that we don't know today that we will not discover until it takes place. There are things that are a mystery to us. And again, some we will not know until we get to heaven and some we will understand maybe here on earth when God reveals it. But in the meantime, we just trust God in spite of the mystery. Again, the mystery of God in this context refers to the unfolding of his resolution of all things and the finishing of his plan of the ages. Notice he says that the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. God acknowledges that life today, again, is full of mysteries, but there is a day coming when they will be no more, when all the questions of this age will be answered. Final point, eat the book. Look what it says in verse 8. Then the voice I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea of the earth. So he's saying to John, go take the that angel you're seeing in the vision, go take that book out of that angel's hand. So he takes it. And look what it says. So I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but be as sweet as honey in your mouth. When you begin to t- open the word of God and taste it, there are parts of the word of God that are sweet. There's things that we read and we just think that's so wonderful. I had a lady in Santa Cruz that went to my church there and she stopped coming to the church because she would come up to me and say, you got to stop talking about all the bitter stuff in that Bible. Quit talking about sin and judgment. I don't want to hear about that anymore. I'm like, we teach the whole Bible around here. At one point I said, I'm going to hand you my Bible and you want to highlight the things you think God wants me to teach? We're going to teach all of it. Can I get an amen to that? Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian, but there's this mentality, and you know, you got people on TV with 50,000 people in their church, and all they do is blow sweet stuff at people. You're so wonderful, you're so amazing, you're going to live your best. Hey, by the way, love you all, bunch of stinking vile sinners in this room, including me. Can I get an amen to that? Why did Jesus have to come? Because we're all sinners in need of a Savior, Amen. Now, again, when we're forgiven, he sees us as holy and righteous, our sin is washed away. And as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? But we see this picture here, and he tells them, don't just hold the book. Eat the book. Take and eat it. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But after I'd eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So what is it about the word, the word there to eat means to consume, to devour, to make it a part of you. So eating the book, God's word is sweet. It says in Jeremiah, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me joy, rejoicing of my heart for I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. But then it's also bitter in 2 Kings. It says, now what happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. There's, there's bitterness of God's word when it warns of judgment, when it convicts of sin. But it's wise when we listen. It says in, in Psalms, those who are wise will take all of this to heart. They will see the truth of God's word and the love of the Lord. See, guys, when we read the Bible, my prayer is is that every time you come here, this is my prayer, and I pray this, my time is that every time you come here, you're exhorted, you're encouraged, and you're convicted. 
Amen? And that's my prayer every time I read my Bible, that I will be encouraged, I will be exhorted, rebuked if necessary, and that I will be convicted. Amen? Because what the Word of God does is it convicts us of the things that are contrary to the Word of God. It shows us where, because what, you were glorified when you gave, or you're, you're sanctified when, or justified when you gave your life to Jesus. <laughs> I think quicker than I speak, and that's kind of crazy, isn't it? So when you gave your life to Jesus, you were justified, just as if you never sinned. So you're born again, going to heaven. But now we're being sanctified. And the word sanctified means set apart. We're being molded more and more into the image of our Savior. And that will continue on until the day we are glorified. And that doesn't happen until we're in heaven. Amen? So we've been justified. We're being sanctified till the day we're glorified. So as believers, what sanctifies us? Conviction. What sanctifies us? The, the, the rebuke of God's word, but also being encouraged and strengthened in our walk with God. So the word of God is both bitter and sweet, but guys, we can't just put it on a shelf and touch it once a week. He says to devour it, to consume it, to make it a part of you. When I, when I try to explain to people what happens to me when I study, here's what happens. By the time, this is three, this is 25 hours, okay? I hang out with the Lord for 25 hours. By the time I get up here, it's oozing out of me. You know what I mean? It's, you, you just, you take so much of it, you're going to throw it up on everybody else, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it just becomes, right? When you, when you spend time in the word, when you're hanging out with the Lord, and this is why he tells him at the end, now you need to prepare to go witness to people. See, once you take in the word of God, you're going to want to tell everybody else about the God of the word, Amen. If you fall in love with him, you can't help but introduce him to other people. You pray for divine appointments. You wait for opportunities. You want to see people saved. You want to see lives changed. Amen? I love introducing my beautiful wife to people because I love her. And I love telling people, and, and, and it's just proof that I'm a good salesman because look at my wife. So here's the rally. When I would interview for sales jobs, this is a picture of my wife. Yeah, you're hired. So here's the deal. But here's the deal, though. When you love somebody, you love to introduce them to other people. You love to bring your grandkids around, your kids, right? Guys, I love Jesus more than I love my wife. I love Jesus more than I love my grandkids. And I love to introduce people to Jesus, amen? And the most, the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. The most selfish thing we can do is keep this to ourselves. But guys, I promise you, if you spend time in the word, if you don't just glance at it, but you read it, you open it, you, you eat it, you obey it, it becomes a part of you. It's going to ooze out of you on the world around you. Amen? And the Holy Spirit will transform you from the inside out. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Amen. So in closing... Even in the darkest hour, our God is in control. One mighty angel is greater than the devil and all the demons that follow him. There will be things that remain a mystery to us till we get to heaven. Just trust God. Number three, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. You know, maybe you're here this morning. This may be your last chance to get saved. Oh, he's preaching hope, fire, and brimstone. I'd rather preach it than live it. Can I get an amen to that? And then finally, eat the book. Eat the book. Read this book. And if you don't have one of these, we have Bibles on the back table. You take one home, we, and we, will, we order hundreds of books, Bibles at a time, and we love to give them away because we can think of nothing greater to do with God's resources than get God's Word into people's hands. Amen? And I want to encourage you. We have a Through the Bible in a Year reading program back there. Read it. Turn off Netflix and turn on Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Open up the book. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. 
And I thank you for your word that it does not return void. And give us a hunger and a thirst to to know you better because to know you better is to love you more. Lord, help us to hunger for your word. Help us, Lord, to be stirred up by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd fill us afresh. May there be less of us and more of you. Lord, I pray if anybody here today doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. The Lord brought you here today. And if you don't know the Lord, if you've never repented, the word repent means I was living my life for myself. I was headed in my own direction. I was living, walking my own path. And now the Holy Spirit has convicted me. It's time for me to turn away from from me on the throne and surrender my life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to follow after him. Make him not just Savior, but Lord of your life. And if you've never done that, the Bible says again, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So I want to give you an opportunity right now to confess. I'm not asking you to join a church. We're all one church. We're all a part of it. But if you've never fully surrendered your life to the Lord, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you this morning that you need to surrender your life to him, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Anybody here at all? God bless you. Anybody else? Don't leave here without him. The Lord loves you so much. He'd rather die than live without you. He proved it on the cross. Anybody else? Lord, for this one that has raised her hand, I just pray that she would pray this with me. She can pray it in her heart or out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And Lord, you've convicted me to surrender my life. I surrender my life to you. Lord, help me to walk with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want you to be not just my Savior, but the Lord of my life. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.